News Network. A political party is willing to crash an entire country just to get rid of one man. What are they so afraid of? And how come nobody's asking that question? Well, one man is. In the relentless pursuit of the truth, you've reached TNN, the Truth News Network. And here's the man asking the tough questions, Dan Newman. And what do you think they're afraid of? I think every American knows, especially conservative Americans know, what the left is afraid of. The left is afraid of the truth, the rule of law, and what conservative thinking has done in our nation in the past, really kept us in the past, kept us together in the past. And that unity prevents dissension from taking control of each other. That's what we're dealing with today, folks. Every day, 24-7. Make no mistake about it. There are people out there that are beating the war drums. War drums, not to beat us like in a face-to-face war, but to win control over everybody. Let's face it, they already have half the nation under control. They're coming for the rest of us. And every day we see more and more and more evidence that proves that is exactly what's happening. But never fear, there is hope in the air. The American dream, the rule of law, the U.S. Constitution, no matter how in battle she becomes, still is the shining light for the world to look at and say, There really is justice somewhere on this planet. And we're trying to find it again here in the United States of America. Today, we're going to just roll right into that. Steve Baker with us our second hour. Got a lot of things to go over and talk to Steve Baker about when he gets here. But between now and then, there's a whole lot more to do. Business as usual at TNN Live is just seconds away. We're going to have a good day. We're going to have a great day together. And it starts right now.
when all else fails, why not just thank God that it's not worse than it is right now? We have seen it get worse in our nation's history. I don't want to go back there, but you know what? God's in control. This is still a fundamentally Christian nation. And there's hope. There's hope for all of us. And as long as God's in it, there's always hope. You know, the last few weeks, just the last few weeks, the world's been writing off the United States as either crazy or irrelevant as they watch America cannibalize itself. Friends tremble at our southern decline. Enemies rejoice. Neutrals make the necessary adjustments to join the ascendant non-American side. The symptoms of our decline abroad, they're everywhere. The more Joe Biden brags about the crippling oil sanctions on Russia, friends like India and allies like Japan ignore them. And why not? When Biden has no idea how long the war in Ukraine is going to last or how much wherewithal the United States can, should, or will give to Kyiv, or how it's on the red square blank check is finally going to end. Big Biden talks about more solar and wind farms, green new deals, won't fill the gas tanks in Munich or heat the homes in Kyoto, or lower the price of imported oil in the United Kingdom claiming the Afghanistan mess was a success fools absolutely no one. Allies are asking, who are our leaders? An impaired Joe Biden who never is quite sure where he is, what he's doing, or who he's with. Kamala Harris, whose only interests appear to be demagoguing racial and social tensions with that shrinking vocabulary and shrieking voice and laugh. Senator John Fetterman, Democrat of Pennsylvania in the Senate, he was elected on the argument it was unkind not to vote for a candidate who was physically and mentally impaired. Energy Department Kingpin Sam Brenton, the cross-dresser in lipstick, he's now charged with felonies for stealing women's luggage at airport carousels. What about Pete Buttigieg? our transportation secretary, who virtue signals melodramas from the past when he's clueless how to fix crises in our present. Our Pentagon brass, who are fixating on saying the correct thing now to ensure the lucrative defense contractor billets later. Our allies fear that after abandoning billions of dollars in weaponry and cobble to the terrorist Taliban, and pumping billions of dollars of more arms into the Ukrainian meat grinder and failing to increase U.S. armaments production, Washington simply doesn't have the resources to even think about matching China in either a looming proxy or a head-to-head war. Browse through any media account of the U.S. military. Doesn't matter where you go. And the storyline's one of racial, gender, gay, transgender wokeism, or a looming manpower shortage. Not a new lethal weapon, a new division of veteran soldiers, or a new program to up the level of our training in our military, our physical prowess, our mental attitude among the ranks. The men and women whom Russia and China most fear, 
feel that they're unwelcome in the U.S. military, and so they don't even join any longer. Those who are enemies hope do enlist. Well, they sign up to the delight of their quota-driven identity politics recruitment officers and our enemies as well. NATO member Turkey. Now remember, they are in NATO. Turkey is. Turkey's calling for an ecumenical Islamic effort combining Shiites and Sunnis, Persians and Arabs, Middle Easterners and all Muslims to unite against Israel. And why not? When Biden has gratuitously insulted and yet begged Saudi Arabia and the Gulf exporting states, ignored the Abraham Accords, ostracized Israel, radically cut back on U.S. energy production capability, and groveled to Iran to reenter the Iran nuclear deal. China is now openly talking of war with us, the United States. Beijing claims the Taiwan Strait is its own de facto territorial waters. It partners with Russia to add a growing alliance of Iran, North Korea, and beckons Turkey, ostensibly a NATO ally. After refusing to come clean about its birthing in Wuhan of the gain-and-function-engineered COVID-19 virus that killed one million of we Americans... China is unapologetically defiant about sending a spy balloon over our key classified sites across the continental United States, part of the continual humiliating follow-up to its inaugural smackdown of Biden's diplomats at the Anchorage mini-summit. Oil producers, China, hostiles like Russia and Iran, and opportunists like Turkey and India, all foresee the end of our dollar as the international currency. After the American humiliation in Afghanistan, the Islamic world, particularly on the West Bank and in Syria, all see us, the United States, as increasingly weak and getting weaker every day. Meanwhile, the Biden administration, they brag it saved NATO by pouring weapons into European Ukraine. But Europe is starving for fossil fuel energy, about exhausted with emptying its arsenals and aid to Ukraine, and terrified that Biden's just enough a multilateralist to lead the alliance into a confrontation with Russia, but also incompetent, so incompetent as to ensure either an economic depression or some nuclear standoff. Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador bask in the publicity of helping an ailing Biden mount stairs as he brags that 40 million Mexican nationals have entered the United States, the majority of them doing so illegally. Obrador prods Mexican expatriates to vote for Democrats to ensure the border is wide open and a perpetual vehicle for Mexican not United States interest in ensuring billions of dollars in remittances, diffusing social tensions at home, and encouraging them abroad in the United States. Do we help defend the borders of Ukraine because we cannot defend our own? Or 100,000 dead Americans due to imported fentanyl mere collateral damage from open borders? 
just asking a few questions. The more our chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and Secretary of Defense tour the world, sound off on contemporary strategic issues, or weigh in on domestic policies, the more apprehensive our allies become. And it's happening and increasing every day, wondering how the once vaunted U.S. armed forces have descended into some bizarre, woke commiserate. The international financial community is terrified of $33 trillion in aggregate U.S. debt, a record 130% of all of our gross domestic product. It was aghast as the Biden administration blundered ahead, printing money to encourage labor non-participation during a supply chain crisis, inciting inflation, inviting high and getting higher interest rates, and all but ensuring more bank collapses. The world abroad, they're not going to tolerate any more lectures from us grandees about the evils of tribal hatred or the benefits of democracy, not when race relations in America are regressive to Balkan-like venom. Anti-democratic rogue regimes indict their former presidents. They put on trial their current political rivals, and they let criminals go free if they serve ideological ends. Now, guess what? We're doing the same thing. Driven by the left's paranoid and irrational hatred of Donald Trump and its eagerness to destroy all customs and traditions to vent its antipathy to everything Trump. Foreigners today assume that downtown Baltimore, Detroit, L.A., Memphis, San Francisco, Washington, they're now medieval, filthy, unsafe, vacant, and malodorous. Western civilization discovered 2,500 years ago how to remove excrement from its city cores. Now it has either lost or forgotten that ability along with the knowledge that crime and disease thrive amid sewage and garbage. The U.S. media was once the world's gold standard. The New York Times claimed it was the paper of record. Network news was liberally slanted, but often, most often, fair. Crusading independent journalists often kept government honest. But all that has now become a global laughingstock. Ridiculously wrong about Russian collusion, predictably partisan about Russian disinformation, and Hunter Biden's laptop, of course, egging on Alvin Bragg's pathetic indictment of candidate and former President Trump, and giddy when an ex-president's home is raided by the FBI or he is tried as a private citizen by a partisan Senate. So, as the military, political, financial, economic, and cultural status of the good old U.S. of A. reaches a really bad place, what is the reaction of a blinkered America? What remedies are Americans preparing as they totter on the abyss of disasters comparable to the U.S. Civil War, the Great Depression, World War II, or 1960s-style cultural madness, all rolled into one? 
Marshall plans to balance budgets. You remember the Marshall plan? A 600-ship Navy, two more crack army divisions, a continental missile defense system, a restoration of the cores of American cities, plans to secure the border, to ratchet up oil and gas production, to drop the racial and sexual tribalism and restore a meritocracy, to reform a higher education, to begin charging criminals with the felonies they've committed, a cleaning of the FBI, the CIA, the Justice Department, and the IRS. No, none of the above. Instead, we're wondering how and why a local prosecutor is charged with felonies the first president in history, currently the leading 2024 presidential candidate, for having a purported liaison 16 years prior and concluding a non-disclosure agreement supposedly to hide it? A man pretending to be a woman is cashing in on his media-created persona, winning million-dollar advertising contracts from woke corporations for hawking their beer and their sports bras. (laughs) Do these corporations think that America's women are so unendowed that CEOs got to hire a man with no chest, well, a chest but no breast, to become their national spokesperson for best accommodating cleavage he doesn't have in a competition he doesn't enter? America's downtowns are reaching a breaking point of vacancy, vagrancy, violence that makes life there unsustainable, while the country argues over gender pronouns. As violent crime source, especially hate crimes, interracial crimes, inner-city crimes. A mostly black woman's championship basketball team stages a media psychodrama of pouting and hurt feelings as it claims it was disrespected by left-wing First Lady Jill Biden and will not go to the White House but prefers instead to be hosted at one of the Obama's three mansion estates, a duo not heretofore known for welcoming and strangers, especially of the poorer sort. What else rises to America's fiddling attention as the world burns up around us? Students in American universities, whether it's Stanford Law School or San Francisco State University, shout obscenities at federal judges or seek to beat up invited speakers. Their disruptions are encouraged by their own dean's silence or active encouragement. The common denominator in both of those cases is that the disruptors and attackers freely admit they violate university rules and or the law and yet assure their ideology and their claims on victimhood exempt them from any consequences for their atrocious conduct. And guess what? They're proven right on both counts. Everybody knows a few expulsions of the elite and pampered lawbreakers would restore sanity to lectures. All know that administrators either side with the culprits or fear their own careers would suffer should they enforce the rules that they're charged to uphold. And then, as transgenderism sweeps the country, 
and wins the attention of the White House, the media do their best to hide the facts that the transgendered mass murderer in Nashville wrote a blueprint of how and why she would soon be killing nine-year-olds, that another would-be transgendered mass killer was stopped just in time in Colorado, then another transgender would-be assassin traveled to the home of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh and went there to murder him? We don't talk about those. To speak the truth that men not just in cross-dress perform sexualized dance skits for audiences that, by the way, include kids, but remain both exempt from legal ramifications and are in hot demand. That's all it's close to, if not, felonious. Best-selling novelist J.K. Rowling, tennis great Martina Navratilova, and all-American swimmer Riley Gaines, they all cannot go out in public alone without assuming they're going to be physically attacked by the, quote, peaceful, end quote, transgender community. What's their sin? The mere suggestion that those born as biological men cannot declare themselves women and therefore assume that they really are. So, America suffers the sins of omission, squabbling over the non-essential, and commission, losing wars, going broke, ruining its economy, flirting with civil war. We know these are all self-inflicted wounds. But, apparently, we believe their remedies are worse than the original maladies. And so, what do we do? We fixate only on the irrelevant that we think we can address while ignoring the existential we know we no longer can solve. The world, it's terrified. And it's stunned at the result. The worst part about it is they used to look to that bright shining light on the hill where everybody could point and say, there's good stuff that happens there. That's a nation of freedom and justice and equality, opportunity for everybody. You can go there and be anything that you want to pay the price to be. That used to be. Now, and increasingly, the world is looking somewhere else for their answers because the bright and shining light on the hill, the light's burned out. The welcome sign is still up. And there are a lot of people that still want to go. But the substance of it is gone. And sadly, none of us can credibly make the statement, hey, sit tight. The light's about to come back on. Have you heard about Blank Slate yet? It's the best board game. In fact, Blank Slate has quickly become the new favorite with everybody around here. It's very simple. Unlike other games, no one gets embarrassed. Blank Slate is all about having fun, right? That's what we want. It's perfect for when you get the fam together or play with friends online because it's a game that everyone can get into. And if you need proof, just check out any of the hundreds of five-star reviews. It's basically selling out. So get Blank Slate now at Target. 
Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy games. You get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. So much, I'm going to have to speed things up. You can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans as the claim-free three-peat. Get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Now for the legal something. Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers branded policy subject to terms and conditions underwritten by Farmers Trucker Fire Insurance Exchanges or affiliate. Welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? Hi. Can I get a... Uh... Can I get a... Okay, get in the McDonald's. Ooh, can I get a... Uh, can I get a... Yeah, uh, can I get a... Uh... 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 Go, Bubba, go! Uh... Hey, can I get a... 10-piece uh, chicken McNuggets. And what sauce would you like with that? Uh... So, Miss Harris, what makes you think you're a good fit with us here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky? Oh, sir, there are so many reasons. I specialized in research and theoretical studies for several years at the Southampton Institute, mm -hmm. preceded by intensive graduate studies at Syracuse. <laughs> Certainly, my skills are well suited for a position here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky. Oh, thanks. A job interview and a root canal on the same day. Want to get away? Get the heck out of there with Southwest Airlines. Fly coast to coast for $99 or less by November 3rd. It was nice meeting you, sir. Yes, we'll get back to you soon. Soon. Southwest Airlines, a symbol of freedom. Call 1-800-IFLY-SWA. I don't know if this bump song was appropriate at this point in the show. I just want to celebrate after what you just heard. Everything you heard, folks, is factual. Credibly. Tell me I'm wrong. Show me I'm wrong. We're in a bad place. We really are. And I got to be honest with you. I don't have a lot of money, but if I had a lot of money, even knowing that Joe Biden had won that election in 2020, you could have gotten me to bet a bunch against the fact that he was going to be able to take this nation so far down into the tube in just two years. I would have never thought it could ha even happen. But it's happened. And we're nowhere near being able to turn things around. And it doesn't matter where you look. doesn't matter where you point. You're going to find something bad, especially when you put it in relationship to the way it used to be. We've got some things that we need to dig into before Steve Baker joins us now in about 32 minutes. And we've got some things that we're going to talk about. Steve and I communicate every uh, Tuesday at least, usually sometimes late Monday, and talk about what the content is going to be. Because, you know, he runs in different circles than I do and vice versa. So we each have our own ideas about some things that are happening. And as I hear again and again and again and look at the ratings on our Tuesday shows, m most people believe the same way, that when we put our heads together, we come up with a consensus of things that are important to most Americans. We have a lot on our plate today. Nobody, nobody can say otherwise. Well, you can say it, but it's not factual. And I guess... 
especially the last few weeks, the 900-pound gorilla in the room is people being slaughtered. We're going to get into the details of this when Steve comes aboard, but there are five dead now from that downtown Louisville shooting. And uh, it there's no way you can describe it. It was a travesty. Everything bad that you can say, every adjective that you can use is appropriate. Officials with the Louisville Metropolitan Police Department confirmed that five died following reports of an active aggressor, is what they said, near a bank. Police Chief Jacqueline Gwen Villarreal identified the shooter as Connor Sturgeon. I'll never say his name on the air again. He was one of the five that died. Louisville Deputy Chief Paul Humphrey told reporters four died, eight were injured, including one officer with various injuries. Officials later said that five people died. We believe this is a lone gunman involved in that did not or did have a connection to the bank. We're trying to establish what the connection was to the business. It appears he was a previous employee. Nine people, including two cops, were treated for injuries from the shooting. University of Louisville Hospital spokeswoman Heather Fontaine said one of the officers was in critical condition, shot in the head, had brain surgery. At least three patients have been discharged. A lot of details still pouring in about it, but there's no way to describe it other than it's a travesty, a horrible thing that happened. A manager at Old National Bank where it happened witnessed her colleagues being murdered live on a Microsoft Teams session as their Louisville office was attacked yesterday. Five killed, as we said. The shooter took an AR-15 rifle into his workplace, began blasting his senior colleagues. Nine others were wounded, including two cops. Sturgeon, the shooter, was shot and killed by cops inside Old National Bank. Rebecca Burchett Sims said, I witnessed people being murdered. I don't know how else to say that. Another colleague, Troy Hasty, was in the room when the shooter opened fire. He survived, but was spattered in his colleague's blood as he left the bank. It later emerged that Hasty and the shooter were already acquaintances, having been pictured together in September at what appeared to be a building site where bank staff could volunteer. Stories like this are going to keep coming out over and over and over. A clearly shaken Hasty told law, law, local news outlets of the ordeal following the shooting. He just started firing. I didn't see his face. We were in the conference room. Whoever was next to me got shot. Their blood's all over me. He just started shooting. He had a long assault rifle, Hasty recounted. Still shaking. We have a break room. I got in there, shut the door for a second. Then I was looking around, opening the door to see where he was, and I could see him still shooting. The old National Bank employee explained how the whole situation unfolded on the first floor of the building as the group was in a meeting. Another man with Hasty said he thought the shooting was construction, but another person told him, run, there's a shooter in there. Burchett Sims, meanwhile, said her meeting had already started when the shooter entered the room. I'm just in shock and was in disbelief as I watched it unravel, she said, adding, it happened so quickly. 
Burchett Sims did not work with the shooter but knew him because his father was her son's high school basketball coach. Her husband was an assistant coach. She described the shooter as someone with just kind of a monotone personality. His temperament is pretty low-key. Never seen the kid get angry or upset about anything in public. He was pretty much just relaxed, she said. She said she didn't know about any threats or issues, but said he was extremely intelligent. And I think one of the worst things is he live-streamed the massacre as he was slaughtering people. And he left a note to his parents saying he was going to carry out the attack following his firing from the bank. That's now been confirmed. The shooter stormed Old National Bank right after 8.30 yesterday morning, around half an hour before the downtown branch opened. The victims were Thomas Elliott, age 63, close friend to the governor of Kentucky, four other bank employees, Joshua Barrick, 40, Juliana Farmer, 45, James Tut, 64, 57-year-old Deanna Eckert. The shooter carried out the attack with an AR-15-style rifle, after earlier making a series of ominous Instagram posts, including one that said, they won't listen to words or protest, let's see if they hear this. He was shot dead by cops after wounding nine other victims, among them two police officers, one of who had only been on the job for 10 days. Rookie police officer Nicholas Wilt, age 26, was shot in the head remained in critical condition. Interim Police Chief Jackie Gwynn Villarreal said, the next few days are important and very critical for Nicholas's recovery, adding he had successfully survived brain surgery at University of Louisville Hospital. Now we can, we can just keep going and keep going and keep going. Keep talking, keep talking, keep talking. You know, there's, there's part of me that says, you know what, we need to make sure that we continue to expose the fact that these shooters at instances like this, like the one that happened in Nashville, happened perpetrated by people that really had mental problems, mental and emotional problems. And then we find out that somebody knew something but didn't say anything. And I think that comes from a lot of different areas. But I think, and this is my opinion, I I may differ from you, but my opinion is we Americans have grown up in an atmosphere where our glass is always going to be half full. And we look around us and we just automatically assume everyone else has the same type of mindset. Yeah, we know everybody's a little bit different from each other, No two are exactly the same, but this is the United States of America where everybody gets a good chance to do things, whatever they want to do. You want to start a business? Go for it. You want to get a good job after getting a good education, maybe a career in a major corporation at a top management level? Go for it. That's the American dream. That's what people from around the world for generations have looked at in that city, that bright shining city atop the hill. 
known throughout American and world history as being the place to get to. This is where you want to go for opportunity. Be anything you want to be. Do anything you want to do. And we just don't get involved with the nitty-gritty details of people around there. This shooter, there was obviously something going on in his life. Not good. And there were telltale signs. Sadly, after these happen, we always hear after the fact, ah, there were telltale signs. I think what we as Americans have got to do, we have got to make ourselves cognizant, not just of who's around us, but in our inner circle especially, what's going on, really going on, with each of those people that are in our inner circle. And if we see something and it just doesn't click, we don't need to back away. We need to take a step forward and get involved and find out if there's really something there that is dangerous. And what's that old adage that law enforcement, after every similar gun incident like this happens, what do they always say? If you see something, say something. Nobody does that. After the fact, it's almost universal. People step forward and say, oh, you know, I knew this guy. He was having some real problems. Well, you just heard, I read you a line from a social media post yesterday that he said, they don't, they're not listening to me. Maybe they'll hear this. I don't know where that appeared, Facebook, Instagram, I don't know, but somebody saw it. Drop a dime, folks. Make a phone call. How many people could have done that? And this morning they know, not only that they could have done that, that they should have done that. How do you think that makes them feel? Now, I'm not trying to make people feel bad. What I'm trying to do, novel idea, Let's come up with a way to stop this crap. And don't go marching down the aisle and preaching to me about the Second Amendment. We've got to do away with it. It's, there's no justification for people owning, privately owning guns. All of that is, and I'm trying to think of a politically correct term to use. I don't want to offend anybody, so I'll just use that, this. All of that is poppycock. It is meaningless. It will not happen. It cannot legally happen. We are not going to amend the Constitution of the United States to do away with citizens' rights to own and bear arms. It ain't going to happen. Here's a novel idea. Why don't we begin with what we have on our plate right now. Something we don't have to go and figure out and pontificate over and structure and try to sell to each other and to our leaders and get laws written around it and get it passed. Instead of doing that, trying to do that, which if it would ever happen, would take years to get implemented. We don't have years. There'll be another one of these in the next few days. Oh, and I'm not a prophet. I'm not 
telling you something that I know anything about. I'm just saying, look at what's going on in our recent past. This is becoming more and more commonplace in the American life, and that's not good. Based upon that alone, I'm saying we're not done with this. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Nothing changes unless something changes. I think everybody will agree this is an atrocity that should never have happened and it should never happen again. I'm not just talking about Louisville, Kentucky, a bright and shining state in the South, great people there. I know a ton of people. I have close friends that live in Louisville. It just tears you apart when we see these things happening, but we've got to stop reacting. We've got to begin to be proactive. Okay, Dan, what do we do to be proactive? Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put that on pause because when Steve comes on in about 18, 20 minutes, he and I are going to talk about that, but I have the answer. I have it. No, I'm not talking about protecting schools against school shooters. That's all part of this same thing. You do realize that. I'm not talking about stopping shootings in movie theaters or breaking into businesses, even Walmarts or any place. I'm not talking about specifics like that. I'm talking about something that will fix this from the top to the bottom. I don't normally tease many things on this show, but I'm going to tease this. I'm not going to get into any more of the details. Steve will be here in 20 minutes, and he and I are going to launch into this. You'll want to be here. Now, one good thing about it, Steve and I, we're friends. We know each other really well. We play off of what each other says, and we don't think exactly the same way. But here's how we function with each other. Iron sharpens iron. Steve will give his opinion on some things. I never denigrate him when we disagree, nor does he denigrate me. What we do is compare our opposite ideology about whatever it is, topic of the day, and then we find commonality between his thoughts and my thoughts. That's a novel idea today, isn't it? We can't do that, or we can do it, but we don't do it in the United States. Why is that? It's because we're better than that. We're better than that. Now, we're we're not going to get into any, any more right now, any more right now, what will permanently fix this but when Steve gets here, we will. One more bit of news, actually a couple of pieces of news about this Louisville shooting. White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre, she referenced the attack in Louisville, Kentucky yesterday, and she pushed for gun storage laws and assault weapons bans. 
a high-capacity magazine ban, and the ability to file lawsuits against gun manufacturers. She said the president is praying for the families impacted by the old National Bank shooting. She then noted Biden wants congressional Republicans to work with Democrats to ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines, to require safe storage of firearms, to require background checks for all gun sales, to eliminate gun manufacturers' immunity from liability. Jean-Pierre described the proposed gun control's common sense. She put forward the gun controls at about 2.15 yesterday afternoon Eastern, a time at which police had released no details on the type of gun used or the means by which the gun was acquired. And just so you know, we previously fact-checked the claim that gun manufacturers enjoy immunity from liability. The Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, it's called PLCAA, protects gun manufacturers from frivolous lawsuits over guns that were legally made and legally sold. However, the PLCAA does not provide blanket immunity. PLCAA, it's very narrow in scope. It shields gun makers from lawsuits in situations where a gun that's used criminally was legally made and legally sold. In other words, Glock cannot be sued over a handgun that was used in a crime if that handgun was legally made, then distributed from the factory to a FFL, which is a federal firearms license holder, then sold through a national instant criminal background system check to an individual at retail. In other words, the normal way of manufacturing, selling, and buying a gun legally. The text of that rule, the PLCAA, it says this, and I'm quoting, businesses in the U.S. that are engaged in interstate and foreign commerce through the lawful design, manufacture, marketing, distribution, importation or sale to the public of firearms or ammunition products that have been shipped or transported in interstate or foreign commerce are not and should not be liable for the harm caused by those who criminally or unlawfully misuse firearm products or ammunition products that function as designed and intended. However, and here is the however, the protections that are part of this don't shield gun manufacturers from lawsuits over defective goods, criminal misconduct on the part of the gun maker, etc. In other words, the protections in PLCAA don't provide gun makers with legal immunity. Jean-Pierre, she has no idea what I just told you is factual. Somebody told her or she heard her boss the commander-in-chief, over his 50-plus years in Washington, D.C., has over and over, probably hundreds of times, told lies to the American public that would listen to him about this. And he just demeaned gun manufacturers and that the federal government indemnifies them against liability. We've got to take that away from them. We don't have to take it away from them. If they've done something wrong, illegal, manufactured, 
advertised, sold, and not sold it to somebody that is an FFL license holder, that's all breaking the law. Hold them accountable for that. Hold them accountable for wrongdoing. But you know what? Elections are coming up, and it just sounds good if you can diminish anybody that is a a political opponent in any way, put them down, because what are you going to do? You're going to fundraise on what happened. You're going to get some money, and you're going to create more division between conservatives and progressives And after all, isn't that what living in America is all about? Hey, wave your registration card. Show everybody what party you belong to. Unless, of course, you're one of those evil, ultra-maga supporters. And, of course, that's all lumped in together with just conservatives. But it doesn't sell good unless you name names. That way you put a face on it so people can hate those other people because they believe in the Second Amendment. So it's this beautiful summer day, and while most guys would say, let's go to the beach, Donnie says, Hey, let's go to Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. They're having a warehouse sale. I say, are you serious? He says, Your place needs furniture, and at the sale, you can get beautiful stuff and save 50, 60, even 80%. So we go to the Pilgrim Warehouse Sale. I buy a sofa, a love seat, and this really cute dinette set. But the big thing is, we pick it out together, Donnie and me. Maybe this relationship is going somewhere. The Warehouse Sale at Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. Ten to the ten to the ten to the ten. Ten to the ten to the ten to the ten ten. Planet Fitness, through the use of motivating montage music, has made it easy to join. Just remember ten ten ten. For ten days, sign up for ten dollars and pay just ten bucks a month after that. Hurry, you only have until November 10th to take advantage of this Planet Fitness offer. Planet Fitness on 42nd Street next to Shopco. No way. Taco Bell's Toasted Cheddar Chalupa is back. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? They They toasted toasted six-month-old aged cheddar right onto the the shell of a chalupa. That's genius. No delicious. No both. And now it comes in a box with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink. Whoa. Oh, sorry. This is... This is my stop. Oh, uh, cool. We're all thinking it. The $5 Toasted Cheddar Chalupa box is back. Only at Taco Bell. At limited participating U.S. locations for a limited time only. Contact local store for prices, hours, and participation, which vary. Tax extra drinks excludes freezes. Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold, Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow. A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello, awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. I said pinch. I heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in-stock guarantee. Staples, make more happen. The last few days in session in the United States Congress, in the House, in the Senate, been committee hearings and subcommittee hearings going on. Some of the contents we have played for you, some of the specific Q&A that has happened, the ones that just are stark to me, and I wanted to at least bring you one before we uh, introduce Steve Baker and bring him in at the top of the hour, happened, I think, on Thursday 
Congressman Mike Johnson from the 4th Congressional District here in Louisiana, a good friend of mine, appears on this show all the time. He sat before Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and the Joint Chiefs Chairman at the time, General Milley. And he got to talking almost specifically to Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. We've told you extensively about his career in military. He was the head of CENTCOM. That's the part of the United States military headquartered in Europe that's over the Mediterranean, northern Africa, and the Middle East. He was there when Benghazi happened, and he was the guy that made the decision to not let those uh, um, special agents of the military go into and try to save those four Americans in Benghazi. He's the one that refused to let it happen. He's also the one that green-lighted the United States, the State Department under Hillary Clinton when Barack Obama was president. They all agreed that we need to support those Syrian rebels that are trying to take out Basra Assad. We need to give them military weaponry and money. And so they did, again and again and again. And Lloyd Austin, he wasn't Secretary of Defense then, but he was a general head of CENTCOM. He just green-lighted that. And guess who those Syrian rebels turned out to be? ISIS. Mike Johnson got into it with Secretary of Defense Baker, and there were some hurt feelings. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Secretary Austin, my constituents, and I know millions of other Americans remain extremely concerned about the politicization of the Department of Defense. We've talked about this before. The policies that you've implemented have led to what we believe is the worst recruiting crisis in the history of the DOD, become a distraction to our service members when they should be focused on maintaining the most lethal fighting force in the history of the world at this critical time, and third, have caused public perception of the military to crater over the last couple of years. These are objective facts. I want to focus on that third point because in November of last year, the Reagan Foundation conducted a survey of thousands of Americans that spanned the spectrum of demographic criteria. Just five years ago, everybody needs to understand this, five years ago, that same survey found that 70% of Americans had a great deal of trust and confidence in the military. But last year, that number plummeted to 48%. So we got to let that sink in. Less than half of the American public has a great deal of trust and confidence in our military. Secretary Austin, uh, do you know what the top response was when the surveyors asked the people why their trust in the military has eroded? I don't. I, I want to enter that uh, that report into the record, if, if, if that's okay. Without objection, so ordered. And I'd, and I'd commend it to your reading, because 62% of the respondents in that nationwide poll said that military leadership has become overly politicized, and that has decreased their confidence. So we know that confidence in the military is eroded. We know that the top reason for that erosion is the military leadership is just too political, and that brings us to the decisions you've made. Last year, we talked about the COVID vaccine mandate, and, and we knew at that time that that was going to lead to a recruiting shortfall. It already had. You reiterated here your unwillingness to repeal the policy, and thankfully, we intervened in the NDAA to repeal it ourselves. But our lingering concern here is that the damage done by that mandate is still being realized. It, it's probably irreparable, and I think the, the Reagan Foundation survey is proving some evidence of that. But now, the issue of the day now is your next crusade, and it appears to be abortion policy. On February 23rd, dozens of members of this committee wrote to you asking very important information relating to the department's new abortion travel policy. Are you familiar with the letter we sent you and or the response that we received just last week, finally, from Undersecretary Cisneros? 
I am familiar with the letter. Well, uh, did you see the response? Did you review it before it went out? I, I've seen the response, yes. It was a non-response. It answered none of our important questions, and the most important of which was the legal justification, because here again, you're not only causing division, you're exceeding your legal authority. Abortion travel policy that, that's here provides the basis for reimbursing service members for travel costs associated with obtaining an abortion, but the law is very clear, law and the legislative intent, uh, intent behind it, Title 10, Section 1093 explicitly prohibits funds available to the DOD from being used in abortion services. I get that you're trying to find a crafty workaround, but it's a blatant violation of the intent behind the statute. Are you aware of the, of the, uh, the, the applicable statute here? i tell you what I am aware of, and that is that uh, this, this policy is based on sound legal basis. And, and if you go to uh, the Department of Justice, uh, Justice's... Uh, uh, public-facing website, you'll see what their, uh, what their opinion of this is as well. And again, I would, I would emphasize that one in five of our troops are women. 80,000 of them now live in places where they don't have access to non-covered reproductive health care. So this is important to our force. I've heard from our, our, our force. I heard from our leaders, our senior enlisted leaders. I heard from our chiefs, our secretaries. This is something that's very important to the force. What's more important is adherence to the rule of law, sir. And in our system, it is the United States Congress that makes those decisions, not you. This is a statute that was created by the people's elected representatives. And the last time I checked, not a single person in this country voted for you. You're, you're not an elected official. You don't, don't get to make this policy. And this assistance upon diving into issues outside of simply maintaining a lethal and capable fighting force is tearing our military apart. This is the most credible, combat-credible force uh, on, on the planet. Then, then why, why is the trust of the American people eroded so much? Why, why do all these surveys over and over confirm what we know intuitively, that they don't trust the leadership of the military? You're diving into issues that you should not be involved in. There's a process in our constitutional system. We expect for you to respect that. The and troops, you're not when you the make troops trust the, the, the reenlistment rates are higher than they've ever been in 50 years. Listen, uh, Our troops like what they're doing. They like the fact that their, their leadership cares about them. And we're going to continue to care about it. I have 15 seconds left. I'm going to ask you to repeal this unlawful policy. It will be challenged in court, I'm certain. It will, you will certainly lose it. But save us all the hassle and follow the law. That's what I'm asking. I yield back. What a novel idea. Follow the law. <laughs> How much would we be missing in lawlessness if our leaders did just what Congressman... Uh, Johnson suggested of our Secretary of Defense. Well, our Secretary of Everything is here, Steve Baker. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Dan. I'm fine. I, I don't know I, if I'm I not answer. the Secretary of anything, though. I'm the, I'm the worst Secretary in the history of Secretary. Well, you know what? If oh, you, uh, oh, you're talking about a different type of Secretary. If you want to be a Secretary of TNN Live, you can be. Yeah, and your responsibilities <laughs> are just to keep doing what you're doing now. How are you, man? <laughs> I'm I'm good. I'm uh, preparing my day and my way because I'm headed back to D.C. today uh, for the rest of the week. So as soon as we're done here, then I've got one more interview to do, and then I'm packing my bags and pointing my car the four and a half hours north to D.C., and that's where I'll be hunkered down for the rest of the week, shaking the trees up there, I should say. At the top of the show today, we uh, we waded into the horrors that happened yesterday in Louisville. 
have good friends that live, a bunch of good friends that live in Louisville. And it's just another horrible thing that we have going on now. It's become in vogue to perpetrate a mass shooting. And I, um, I teased the top of the show, and I said at the top of this hour, right as you came on, what we were going to do is what you and I went back and forth with about content for this segment today on the show would be to talk about this very thing and how, if we can, but how can we stop this from happening, at least in the way that it's happening now? And you and I haven't talked, this is this is being in full disclosure. We've not gone into the details, but... You're conservative. You're actually a little more conservative than am I. We're both Second Amendment um, adherents. I do know that much about you. But Mm -hmm. what can we do, in your mind, in your opinion, can we stop these kind of things? And if so, what should we do to do it? Dan, the question may be improperly framed. And let me explain to you why. I have a growing suspicion that this may be the first time in my life I'm willing to believe and consider the fact or the possibility rather that these are um, events that are being manufactured and created. And I don't necessarily mean that these actors, these perpetrators of these crimes, these mass shootings are people who are working actively for some black ops group for the federal government for the purpose of ending uh, Americans' rights to own and bear arms or, or the evisceration and elimination of the Second Amendment. But as you know, the work that I've been doing for the last couple of years has put me in a place where I have seen the types of activities from certain three-letter agencies in our federal government who seem to be creating events for the purpose of creating specific narratives. And let me just give you a couple of quick examples. It would be easy for me because of the work I've done uh, with January 6th for the last two years to say that that was a manipulated event, an event that was either um, purposefully planned to create a narrative or it was Uh, organically allowed it to happen as it developed. Either one uh, is is a possibility. But more and more we're seeing circumstances and situations like, for instance, in the Governor Whitmer, um, uh, the Governor of Michigan, her kidnapping, alleged uh, kidnapping um, uh, conspiracy, where there were more FBI agents involved in that than there were actual militia members up there. In fact, it was the FBI agents themselves who created the plan, who came up with the idea of how to recruit disparate individuals that were, you know, on social media had had indicated that they were maybe uh, somewhat extremist on the right wing or that they were um, uh, discontent with government in such a way that they could be recruited into a scheme to kidnap the governor herself. And when in fact, before the FBI's actual efforts, there was no such indication and no such communication and no such planning going on with these individuals whatsoever. In fact, they didn't even know each other. 
but it ended up being that in raw numbers, by the time the plan was initiated, and of course it never was actually, I shouldn't say initiated because she was never kidnapped and there was never any such attempt to do so. But by the time the plan itself was formulated and the recruitments were made, there were more FBI agents involved than there were actual individuals that had been recruited into the scheme. And I said last night on a live stream that I did with my uh, locals community uh, supporters, so it was a very small private um, gathering of individuals on this live stream, not open to the public, and I compared what happened in the worldwide COVID lockdown test run. You notice the key word, key phrase there was test run. Because I believe that what they did in that particular event was a test run to see how many of us were willing to bend the knee, lay down our liberties, our freedoms for a measure of perceived and uh, uh, a notion of security and safety from this virus. And obviously, we were all very disappointed at how many Americans were willing to do so and were willing to just give in to the narrative at that point. And I think that there was a huge victory won there psychologically uh, over the American people and really over uh, populations worldwide. And I'm afraid that what we're seeing now is a manipulation with this recent spate of shootings to um, create the same type of situation where the narrative is so intense and the call for control now begins to rise up from the grassroots of Americans for that measure of perceived safety that they want, that they're willing, Americans may be willing now to uh, hand over those guns in some sort of confiscation scheme or under some sort of ex- executive order. Uh, and, you know, obviously we're not going to, they're not going to start with you know, our, our handguns and our shotguns and our bolt action rifles. They're going to start with the, the uh, you know, the, the, the infamous AR-15 and the high capacity magazines. And then they're going to work their way down as they can. But uh, Dan, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really concerned, especially by who we're seeing the new uh, shooters are. This new spate of shooters are the same type of individuals who are not just only the the woke leftists, but they're also the gender confused. And I have to ask the question, are they being recruited? Uh, you, you know, you know who Andy No is, right? The, sure. Um, yeah. Uh, Journalist. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah, Andy is uh, certainly by far the foremost expert on the Antifa uh, operation, recruitment organization, how they, how they do what they do. And he tracks them every single day, not only as a group, but the individual uh, Antifin members around the country and keeps a very, very large and vast database as he adds to them. And one of the things that Andy Noe has noted, now understand Andy Noe himself is is um, Asian-American, gay uh, Asian-American, and he has himself noticed and reported that some 70% of these recruits into Antifa are themselves in some manner, gender confused. This is seems to be a breeding ground for recruitment of individuals who are troubled already of mind and spirit, and they are easily recruited into these nefarious uh, groups, activities, actions. And now that we're seeing this unusually high number of recent mass shooters, school shooters, 
uh, this bank shooter uh, wasn't necessarily a gender confused individual, but every every indication is is that he was of a more leftist uh, mindset. And I beginning to, and this is in my mind. I'm this is a theory. I'm talking out loud. I've never I've never formulated this. I've never talked about this. I've never written this. But I'm actually in front of your audience, in front of you, Dan. I am giving you uh, an insight into how my mind is working on this particular topic right now is that you take everything that I just talked about, right. Leading up to what I'm about to say, you talk about the recruitment that happened by three letter agencies in the FBI, literally recruiting people into a scheme that did not exist until they initiated the scheme. We're talking about, a recruitment on January 6th into schemes that we're now seeing in the Proud Boys trial and what a you know cluster that is. This Proud Boys trial, we're now learning through from that that there were as many FBI agents, it seems, involved in the initiation and participation of that alleged plot and that alleged conspiracy as there were actual just grassroots members of the Proud Boys. And, and now we're seeing as I said, this uh, we, we know rather that this this organization known as Antifa actively recruits from these uh, troubled individuals, and now we're seeing the same thing happening with the most recent spate of mass shooters. It's coming from the same group of individuals that not just gender confused, but if they're gender confused, there's mental instability. If there's mental instability, they are uh, already inherently incapable of normalizing and socializing with their classmates or, or with their coworkers at the bank or whatever the case may be. And it seems that these individuals are the ones that are now coming out and participating in this. And I cannot help but ask myself, is this an organized plot? And in fact, are these individuals being recruited to become martyrs at the altar of gun control and the elimination of the second amendment. That's how my brain is working right now, Dan. I would, I would say that that would be far fetched in my opinion. If we didn't see that actually happening in so many different areas, you just mentioned a few, but it's happening in so many different areas. Our department of justice, the FBI are being fingered every day for wrongdoing, I mean malicious acts, illegal acts of wrongdoing against the American people. I uh, I got a story sent to me overnight. I haven't shared it on the show yet. I was going to do it. Didn't have time in the run-up to begin this segment. Biden's White House, it was confirmed yesterday, they were hands-on involved in in the raid on Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence. Orders mm -hmm. yeah. came from the White House. Now, you put that in the context of what you're thinking about some of the, at least some of, if not all of these mass shooters, being concerted, being planned, being implemented and put together by people in our government. It's not far-fetched, Steve, for me, and I'm not, I am anything but a conspiracy theorist. In fact, when I hear a conspiracy theory, I immediately go to the default position about, hey, it's a conspiracy. And then I begin to try to debunk it. 
But I tend to agree that on many levels, in many different areas of our lives, our government is ratcheting down on the freedoms and the liberties that are guaranteed us in those first 10 amendments specifically. The ones that our forefathers were so diligent about that they would come back after the Constitution was penned and signed and it was actually a living, breathing document, and they wanted to make sure to tell the government these areas are specific that you cannot legally have any input into. These rights belong strictly to the American people. And you and I both know that if any government wants to get any bigger and more intrusive, the first thing you've got to do is George Soros's God calling, in his words. You've got to destroy the structure of law and the accountability for lawbreakers. You've got to destroy that. Well, they are destroying the structure of law. I don't know if you saw uh, AOC. I think it was on Anderson Cooper the other night where she... My gosh, she went nuts. She went nuts. She went nuts. Yeah, she advocated for uh, lawmakers and law enforcers, such as attorney generals, to ignore the Supreme Court rulings. And by calling them extremist rulings, they were therefore uh, proper to be ignored. And even Anderson Cooper himself, you know, you wouldn't expect a pushback from him, but even he squirmed a little bit and said, are, are you saying that we should just ignore uh, law? Because when you do that, don't we get chaos? Well, that's exactly what they want, Dan, because chaos puts them in a position where the, the people cry out for relief. They cry out for help. And chaos is absolutely what they want right now. That's why these. That's why they, we have these catch and release policies in these uh, large cities where these uh, Soros-backed uh, DAs are operating right now. That's why they're turning people back onto the streets uh, that, that have uh, committed violent crimes. Uh, they're not holding them for bail, no cash bail, nothing. Uh, process them, turn them back on the street. Three days later, they kill somebody else. And we're seeing this all over the country time and time and time again because chaos is exactly what they want. And when we see these individuals kill somebody else three days later, the people are not going to blame the DA. They're not going to blame the catch and release policy. They're going to blame the gun that they used. And that's what the agenda is. And as you said, I am one of those guys who adamantly push back against uh, conspiracy theories this whole every, every time i hear somebody go uh, false flag false flag false flag you know immediately i recoil and i go okay let's, let's <laughs> look at this yeah but but see when when you roll out this many in a row and then you see all of the other connected tissues involved in what's happening right now and you see they're building once again towards a narrative and building once again to a uh, trying to get the grassroots voters, the constituents, to scream out and to cry out for relief. We want a king, you know. Yeah, it's almost biblical, isn't it? Give us a king, and that's exactly what they're asking for. And there, and this was exactly what uh, AOC was asking for. She wants executive orders. She wants 
this country to be ruled by executive fiat rather than by the rule of law. And of course, the executive fiat can only uh, come from and it will only be acceptable if it comes from her side of the uh, political philosophy, which, of course, as we know, she's an open socialist. And so that's exactly what they want. And that's the types of uh, actions that they're expecting. But they're not going to get that in this country unless they create an environment where the people cry out for relief. And that's what I fear right now with with regards to these um, mass shootings that are taking place is that finally they're just going to wear the people down to where they say, okay, yes, I'll, I'll hand my gun in and I'll turn my neighbor in if he doesn't hand his in. I know you were listening early in the show. I don't know exactly what time you dialed in, but did you hear at least the last part of the segment between Congressman Mike Johnson and Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, did you hear that back? And I, I forth? did hear the. I heard. I heard the beginning of that. Yes. Okay. The very end of it, um, Congressman asked Secretary Austin about one specific thing, and Austin didn't reply. What he said was, "Well, I'll tell you what they do like: our returning veterans. They love coming back. Our reenlistments are higher than they've ever been in history." And the question that Mike Johnson asked him about was something that Austin himself put in place in the military, and he didn't have the legal authority to do it. It belongs to Congress. And the one, and I won't, I don't want to get off in the weeds about what it was, but what he did, Austin put out a policy telling military members, especially females, that if you need transportation to go somewhere to get a legal abortion, the military will pay for that. Specifically, that's a violation of federal law. There is a specific law that makes that illegal. And so Hmm. Austin just was going to get up on the stump and preach to Mike Johnson about it. And Johnson called him out and said this, maybe you think that, sir, but that's not the law. And the United States Congress has the sole responsibility and authority to make those laws that you and I must abide by. That whole mindset, now that we're talking about the Secretary of Defense, he's the first level below the president and the cabinet. Pretty powerful political figure. Mm. And at that level, he thinks, hey, I can ignore the law. I'm the Secretary of Defense. I can do whatever I want to do with the military. And, of course, we see Merrick Garland, the Attorney General. He's exposed again and again for the same thing. Christopher Wray, the FBI Director, exposed again and again for the same way. And then there comes a figure onto the political stage, and he's been there once, and he got kicked to the curb. And you know where I'm going with this. And he's back now, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. The most investigated man in United States history, Donald Trump. And what is he mm-hmm. all about? And there's no magic, this isn't a trick question, no magic answer. But what he's all about is doing the right thing. Abiding by the rule of law, abiding by the Constitution, making sure that everybody complies. And that flies into the face of what you just referenced that you're dreaming may be going on in this spate of mass shootings, that it's being coordinated. And if it is, 
let me just let me just go right to the chase. If it really is what you suspected it might be, there's only one potential hoped for purpose. And that's not to take away a few more of our liberties. It's not that at all. It's about a permeating philosophy that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez illustrated over the weekend, more beautiful, and it's in a vacuum, and it stands by itself, and it's a flashing light that we all need to see. She considers herself to be part of a little small group of power brokers, and they have the unilateral authority to determine what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, and what should be enforced in the way of the law and what should be overlooked. She calls anybody and everybody who disagrees with that philosophy and her anointed position, you're the F word. You're a fascist. But Mm -hmm. guess what? What she's promoting is the epitome of what fascism really is. A small group of people control everything for everybody else. That's exactly it. And to quote one of our founders, and this was in the article that you uh, published on uh, your website last week, one that I wrote last week, uh, quoting Noah Webster, before standing army can rule, the people must be disarmed. As they are in almost every country in Europe, the supreme power in America cannot enforce unjust laws by the sword because the whole body of the people are armed and constitute a force superior to any band of regular troops. And that is a statement made directly at those who would say that we need to allow our superiors to keep us safe. That's absolutely 180 degrees out of phase with our founders notion about how we as individuals had the power and the control over the government. And I believe, wasn't it Jefferson I'm paraphrasing who said, <laughs> you know, when the uh, uh, people fear the government, there's tyranny. But when the government fears the people, there's liberty. That's the notion that we were founded under. And anything that they're saying now, Dan, any of these narratives that they're constructing and building now, Dan, are absolutely 180 degrees out of phase with the founding principles of uh, of this this country. But that's where they want to take us. That's what progressivism is. It's the very definition of progressivism. And they have been eroding this for so long, over 100 years. They've been hacking away at these founding principles and slowly turning the minds through the long march through our institutions, our schools, education, um, uh, entertainment, uh, I mean, look, look, we, we saw it. I mean, look what happened in country music, right? Country music was like the last stronghold of all of the entertainment uh, segments out there that had a vestige of real uh, salt of the earth, mid- middle America, uh, blue collar conservatism. And then within a matter of a couple of days after a transgender individual shot up a school, a Christian school in Nashville. What does the country music association do at their awards ceremony, but parade out onto the stage, a bunch of transgender cross-dressing 
answers. That's the spirit of the age that we're in right now, 180 degrees out of phase. Big government has got so many big corporations scared to death because of pending regulatory action that the government can take against them that they're afraid to push back against the pricks. That's that term when uh, Mm -hmm. the Apostle Paul was knocked off his horse, remember, and God asked him, why do you Mm -hmm. continue to kick against the pricks? In other words, you push back against the right things, and they're afraid to do that because of what big government has got them convinced that they can do. Let Let me just point this conversation towards a good ending. How about let's do this. Let's talk about where the options are for the nation to go from where we are based upon what we see and hear our government doing and we're seeing it play out every day. And just keeping at the top of mind that there is this thing that's looking more and more like they're out there creating at least the environment that allows these horrors to happen if not getting involved in making them happen. Either one of those is horrible, atrocious. But keeping that in mind, I think, personally, we can only go one of two places from here. My thoughts are, we go and we march into totalitarianism, or we do a U-turn as the American people, not our government, sadly, but we do a U-turn to go back and we say, And when I say we, I'm talking about a consensus, not all of, but a consensus of us say, we're not going down that road. Our forefathers ran from that very thing when they came here across the pond and established this nation. We're going to go back there. We're going to go back and re-embrace the rule of law, the 10 amendments of the Constitution, what our forefathers we know factually intended when they structured this nation, we're going to go back there and we're going to put people in power that will enforce the rule of law in every circumstance. Now, my opinion, if we go there, it's going to be really, really ugly. And it's not going to be, oh, okay, y'all want to do that? Well, we'll step aside and let it happen. That's not going to be what's going to happen, in my opinion. Your thoughts? I thought you said you were going positive here at the end. (laughs) No, what I think, I think the people are going to take the nation back. That's my opinion. And I think there there will be more and more, Steve, in my opinion, that are going to join in and say, you know what? I don't want to go back. I don't want to live in a banana republic. I don't want to live where Joe Biden (laughs) is the king or Kamala Harris, or anybody. I don't want to live where there's a king. And that's not going to happen in the freest country in world history. We're going to keep it the freest country. Well, I know that there is a growing uh, segment of our population, even the most skeptical like myself, who now distrust our electoral system. And the more we have individuals like myself crossing that Rubicon and looking at the numbers, looking at the raw data, looking at what's really happening out there, looking at the manipulation of social media, big tech, 
and the three-letter agencies to influence elections in a particular direction. I think that you're right. I think more and more of those individuals are going to stand up and say, no more. No, you're not going to do this any longer. And that they're going to draw a line in the sand. But we're going to have to circle right back to the beginning of this conversation, and that is the Second Amendment. And that is, in fact, the line in the sand, Dan. I mean, there is no other more important um, line. There's no more important uh, of those 10 amendments that you referenced than the second, because it is the only thing separating us from the rest of the world, is the only thing separating us from worldwide tyranny right now. It is the only thing protecting the limited number of liberties that still exist in other lands, whether we're talking about New Zealand, Australia, England, uh, uh, anywhere else. Whatever remaining individual liberties they have right now are guarded by the United States Constitution, the United States Bill of Rights, and our Second Amendment. And when that falls, it all falls. And so I think that that is the line in the sand. And whatever the, you know, I don't don't say this um, uh, sarcastically and not as a pun, but whatever your individual trigger point is, whether it's them coming to take your child out of your home and force a um, a gender-affirming surgery on them or not, there's only one way you're going to stop them, and that's with the Second Amendment. And that is going to, of course, require the assistance of your neighbors in that action as well. And I think, Dan, that everybody's got a, a, an individual trigger moment or a trigger point or a line in the sand that brings us to the point of realization that we have to stand and we have to say no and we have to, um, as you say, take it back. I'm just hoping that we can. I'm hoping that we can take it back without having to go that far. But um, I, I, I'm... I think it's, I think it uh, was Glenn Beck who, who dubbed it the Bubba effect. Are you familiar with that? that oh, term? yeah. 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 And, and I'm afraid we're reaching that point where the Bubba effect is about to kick in. If they push too hard, too fast, too aggressively, the Bubbas are going to say no more and they're going to shoot back. And when that happens, then they're going to take executive action against us. They're going to take executive uh, unleash a, an array of executive orders uh, that are going to be portrayed as law. Of course, they're not law unless they come from the legislator. But they're, they're going to take executive actions to eliminate these uh, high-capacity magazines, these um, semi-automatic weapons, and they're going to start confiscation rounds and buyback programs and all of that. And I will be very interested to see if, as I led this conversation today with the idea of how they've used the COVID lockdown te- as a test run on the American people, I will be very interested to see how many of those same Americans will bend the knee uh, once again in the face of that effort, because I think it's coming. I don't, and I don't know who's going to trigger it. I don't know if it's going to be these um, uh, transgender shooters shooting up schools that trigger it. I don't know if it's going to be the actions of governors or of President Biden taking executive actions. I don't know if it's going to be the Bubba effect and the the Bubba's are just going to start shooting back and then create a um, counter reaction from government. But I have a feeling it's coming and it's coming soon. We do have a point in our history where this similarly happened and it was 
the run-up to the Revolutionary War, the government, which was at the time, as you know, was in the UK, which didn't exist then, but it was in England, they were making all the rules and enforcing all the rules or having their people over here, their, their plants to enforce all the rules. And as they began to become more and more aggressive against the people that lived here, the people that were making this nation, doing the foundation of what it has become, finally had enough and said no. And when the majority of those did, and believe me, if you go through and see anything, read anything, check into what was the atmosphere here when the Revolutionary War happened, there were a lot of people that wanted to just give in to Britain. A lot of people here didn't want to get into a fight. And even after the fight started, there were a lot of people that didn't want to be a part of it. Obviously, that would happen in this same situation. And we all, let me just say this, this is the caveat here. This is hanging over this whole conversation. We all hope and pray we never get to any kind of armed conflict of any kind. None of us want to go there. And it has happened here before. And it worked out good for the people. But there was lots of bloodshed. Lots of families that were obliterated. Lots of people lots of lineage, lots of history that was changed automatically, not by the people that were involved in it, by others that made arbitrary decisions for that. Here's one thing I think we can all agree on, and Steve, I know you agree with me when I say this. We all need to go to our knees. We all need to get on our faces before God. We need to get the right mind in all of these things and be comfortable, maybe not with the circumstances, but comfortable at where we are in our thinking so that we can be positive in whatever it is we're going to do instead of being driven by fear. There is far too much fear that's being purveyed out of the Potomac Valley across the nation, and these mass shootings or, if nothing else, tools to instill fear in the populace that the only way to stop this stuff is for big government to step in and get bigger and more powerful and take control of more and more of the rights of Americans. I'm positive that's where they want to go. Will they get there? That's still up in the air. And that's a question that has to be answered by the American people. Buddy, I want to thank you so much for being here. Tuesdays mean a lot. We have people from all around the world that are listening into this show right now that are looking to us. In fact, we have a huge contingency in Australia that are going through some of the same stuff that we have. Actually, they're further down the road for the gun confiscation thing Mm -hmm. than we ever would even imagine at this particular point could happen here. It's happened there. And they're looking for answers. And they're looking to us, you know, that bright shining light on the hill that throughout history, at least the last 250 years, we've had the answers. Not so sure we have the answers any longer. But thank you for being here. You're incredible. Thank you for the work that you do. And uh, I'm looking forward to your trip to D.C. 
because I know there's some good juice that'll come out of it for this show. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an action-packed uh, trip this time, I have to say. Well, safe travels. Keep us posted. And anything we can do Thank for you. you, let us know. All right. Thanks, Dan. Steve Baker, as always, great partner to this show, great friend. He's got a lot going on, folks. And let me just say this about Steve. If you're a praying person, pray for his safety because he's putting himself out there. You think about it, a hardcore conservative that is on the radar screen in Washington, D.C., in our government, Department of Justice, FBI. He's on that screen, and he's going up there doing true journalism work. They need to leave him alone. Pray for his safety and pray for his state of mind. And by the way, we give you the sources where his stuff is published. Go take a look at it and support it. Support him in those efforts. There aren't many people around like that that are willing to put their necks on the line every day for us. And he happens to be one of the good guys. With Ford Pass, rewards are just a tap away. Whether it's using rewards points toward things like complimentary maintenance or for vehicle accessories. And with Ford Pass, a tap can also get you 24-7 roadside assistance and lock your vehicle. Only Ford Pass puts all this in the palm of your hand. Ford Pass, built to keep you moving. Cars today are computers on wheels. That's it. Uh, The fancy new tech makes our life easier in the car, but when something breaks, can you afford to fix the touchscreen display or the sensor, which can cost thousands of dollars? Most likely, no. That's why I have CarShield, and it takes away the worry and the panic of the expensive repair that you know is coming. CarShield, their protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs, including everything from an engine, transmission, GPS, electronics, and more. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary roadside assistance and a rental car. It's inevitable something's going to break. It happens to everybody, including me. So get coverage from America's number one auto protection company like I did and find out why CarShield cars go farther. Rates are as low as $99 a month, so visit carshield.com. Use the promo code iHeart to save 10%. That's carshield.com, promo code iHeart. Deductible may apply. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize Your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. in these rounds of committee and subcommittee hearings going on in Washington, D.C., especially the Armed Services Committee. Uh, We just heard a little bit going into the break there with Steve. Before that, we heard Congressman Mike Johnson taking on Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, alluded to a little bit of the content uh, in the conversation with Steve. But Matt Gates, uh, representative down from Florida, he weighed into it yesterday. We have a real problem. 
and the number of people that are in our military. If we got called up into a war, any kind of real conflict right now, we would be in desperate straits on two fronts at least. One, we have not been replenishing our military hardware. I'm talking about weapons and ammunition that we have just pushed across the pond to Ukraine. We haven't been doing that. Number two, we don't have the people in place and trained people in place to man the positions in our military. And so these military leaders are coming before these committees and subcommittees, and they're being asked, what the heck is going on with recruitment in our military? And Matt Gates had some Air Force leaders before him asking these same questions. Mr. Chairman, I'm going to begin by seeking unanimous consent to enter into the record a press release from last year from the Department of Defense entitled, Department of Defense announces recruiting and retention numbers for fiscal year 2022 through March of 2022, and it reads, Overall, it is clear the broader recruiting market continues to deteriorate and recruiting shortfalls can no longer be solely attributed to COVID-19. Without objection. So we just heard from Secretary Austin moments ago that COVID was the driving headwind. That was the headwind was the term he used in these recruiting challenges that trouble us all. But the department is saying that it's not COVID. So I guess I'm just trying to figure out what do you guys think is the driving factor of the recruiting collapse that we are currently overseeing? Any, any of you who are particularly interested? Representative Gates, that's a great question. And what we are seeing is that it's not just one factor. It is a variety of factors when we look at obesity, physical fitness, misconduct, behavioral health challenges, a knowledge gap. Of what we saw from our data was that uh, individuals that we surveyed identified that they would be potentially putting their life on hold if they serve. So not attributable to one single factor, but a multitude. I, I agree with that. We've got a younger generation that's too dumb, fat, slow, addicted, and on video games to be eligible to serve in the military. And it's really troubling to hear that the response is to thin the soup rather than to do what we can earlier on, maybe through our education system or our nutrition programs, whole of government to try to get a greater share of our folks capable. Do you, does anyone here attribute any of the recruiting challenges we face to the new DEI push? Any, any of you? Raise your hand if you do. None of you. Well, I, I would suggest that that is misguided. I have heard directly from people that this, uh, this embrace of DEI and white fragility and white rage harms our recruiting effort in the area of the country where we do our best recruiting in the American South. Uh, I have a qu additional questions for you, General Miller. How many Republicans running for Congress had their personnel records unlawfully compromised by the United States Air Force? Uh, thank you for that question. So we did have a PII breach, um, 11 individuals overall. Uh, their data was um, released. Um, well, you say breach. When I hear breach, what I hear is that like someone hacked or broke in or got the information. You gave this information. Yes, we did. No, right. the Air so Force it wasn't a breach. It was an illegal release. It was a, yes, it was. Right. You're right. We take full responsibility for that. 
11. 11. Yes. And all Republicans, right? Um, I don't know the answer to that. I know some of them were, but I think that— But they, if I represent to you that, that, that it's all or almost all Republicans— Almost all Republicans, that's correct, yes. And it, this information was given to the due diligence entity, right? There was a, there were— there was an entity, yes. It was yeah, and it's an opposition entity. research entity that gets hundreds of thousands of dollars from the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee and the Democratic Senatorial uh, Campaign Apparatus, right? Um, I don't know that much about due diligence, but there's. I know that we um, release the information Why? inappropriately. Why did you do that? Um, it was a, you know, it was an error. We did an investigation as soon as we found out. We notified all of the members um, in which their data was um, released. Uh, we have put in place uh, multiple layers of uh, checks and balances. We did a retraining. Who's been fired for doing this? Um, we have taken the appropriate action. Okay. Who's been fired? We've, we've taken the appropriate action. I, it's a fascinating answer, just not to my question. Who's been fired? I, I can't answer has, that. Has a single person been fired? I do not know the answer to that. Shouldn't you, though? I mean, here we are having recruiting challenges. You guys are releasing personnel information of predominantly Republicans to a Democrat opposition research firm. You run personnel for the United States Air Force, and you can't tell me whether anyone has been fired for this unauthorized release? Congressman, I can tell you that we have taken the appropriate action. Well, but based but, but, on but the you OSI. deem it appropriate. But what if we don't? Because we have civilian control of the military. Mm -hmm. We may have to change our laws to hold people accountable. And pardon me for not trusting your vague reference to the layers that you've put on, but Mr. Chairman, I, I request that this committee get specific answers for what the accountability regime was for this unlawful action by the United States Air Force, and that we not take as an article of faith the representation that they think they've taken the appropriate action. They've taken the illegal, inappropriate action to compromise these records, and I think we should hold them accountable for it. Do you see the common thread about the conversations we've been having this hour and what you just heard coming from one of those committee hearings with people in the military, this particular branch, in the Air Force? There's no accountability for anything bad that happens. In fact, it's gotten so vague across the spectrum of accountability and liability in our military that leaders... They don't even try to make excuses for not doing the right things, not making people do the right things, not holding people in their charge accountable for not doing the right things. It's just excuse after excuse after excuse. One thing Steve and I didn't get to in our conversation there about what's going on in the evil that perpetrate America, these mass shootings, uh, the gender identity issues that feed into that. And it's proven they do feed into that. And of course, I can get canceled for even mentioning that four different instances recently of horrors that have happened and two that have not happened because they were discovered, uncovered before they could happen, happened when transgender individuals determined they were going to go postal. And several of them did. We can't talk about that. We can't go into the cause and effect. We can't get into that. And the same thing's happening in our military. Let me blow your mind. This morning, it's been released 
that a California mom is outraged. Why? Because her daughter's school district upheld a parental secrecy policy that allows school officials to offer gender counseling without informing the student's parents. Her name is Aurora Regino. She said her 11-year-old daughter's elementary school in the Chico Unified School District, this is California, helped her transition from female to male during the previous school year. But a guidance counselor kept her in the dark, the mom, during this entire process. Aurora said, the mom, during one of the meetings, my daughter told the counselor she wanted to tell me about her new identity. They ignored her request, did nothing to support her in letting me know what was going on in the school. Now, she's speaking to school board members at a meeting last week. The board weighed a measure that would allow for more parental inclusion, but ultimately voted to keep the existing so-called parental secrecy policy in place with a three-to-two vote. It was a really sad decision that they made, but unfortunately I wasn't extremely surprised, the mom said. This policy that they have in place to keep these situations a secret from the family is incredibly damaging. It was extremely damaging in my case with my daughter. She was bullied. She didn't have the support that she needed from her family, and also she was outed within the school with other people within the office knowing her new gender and her new pronouns that she didn't even tell them. And she had to go through those feelings of wondering how they even knew all on her own had no support. Regina was suing the district to keep for keeping her in the dark about her daughter's identity and transition. Lambasted the policy as incredibly dangerous and said the struggle to advance parental rights in the area had been hard fought. Here's the problem with this whole story. You can get into the gender, transgender conversation. Do that in another another setting. We're not going to do that today. What we are going to get in is a PS of the conversation Steve Baker and I had beginning at the top of this hour. And that is power. Government power. You Do you see that thread through this story? The school district, without any authority to do so, made an arbitrary decision and created a policy that keeps parents from being brought into the loop when they, they being not the parents, the school teachers and administrators and faculty members, those enlightened Educators, you know, they've got the background. They're with the kids all the time. They know what's going on in kids' lives. Parents, not so much. They only see them at night when they go home. These educators are with those kids all day long. They know better. And so they determined on their own to guide this girl and indoctrinate her to believe they could do it and she would literally be another sex. And these school districts think 
that they have some endowed heavenly big government right to take those actions, unilaterally keep the parents from even knowing, yet alone being part of the process. And that's not a big deal. What I just told you, that story is not a big deal. It's happening every day. It's probably happening in schools in the town and city in which you live, maybe even where your kids go to school. So we have all of these people out there that have authority now to just pull out a shotgun, load the gun, and just fire it willy-nilly, whichever direction at whomever they want to point it, and there's no accountability for their doing so. And of course, I'm figuratively speaking, but not just figuratively speaking. Guy slaughtered people in a bank yesterday. Accountability for wrongdoing, breaking laws, not doing the right thing. You know those fundamentals that my mom and dad either taught me or they beat it into me that I understood these are some foundational stones that are in your life and will forever be there. As long as you are in our household, these will be the way we operate here. Everybody abiding by the same rules. And oh, by the way, you break them, we will see it that you're held accountable. And the accountability measure that will be meted out on you You have no say-so in. We have the arbitrary ability to do that. And you know what? That sounds really tough and mean. But the social structure is in place. Everybody that's part of that process knows what it is. They're educated. The moms, the dads, the kids, everybody knows the expectations. And so, therefore, when it comes time for accountability for wrongdoing, breaking the rules, stepping over the line, they may not want to be a part of the accountability process, but they will be. And when they do, that's just the way it works. So guess what? Accountability means this. Next time around, maybe, just maybe, they won't do that or make that same kind of decision again. Wow, what an idea. What an idea. Folks, this has been an amazing show today. Because of you, because of what is going on around us, this is not in any way to make you afraid of anything. Fear is never a tool that you need to use against yourself or, for that matter, against anyone else. Don't let someone else use fear against you. Don't let it happen. And more importantly, your children, oh my gosh, protect them. Protect them. Thanks for being here today. Wow, we got a big week ahead of us too. We're just getting started. Have a wonderful Tuesday. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. at TNN Live.
Good. 